Welcome to Soccer Talk, a podcast about soccer in Iowa presented by Kick It Forward. Kick It Forward is a local nonprofit organization that fosters community through soccer. Among other things, we promote accessibility, diversity, and integration at a grassroots level. Check us out on Twitter at kick underscore forward, on Facebook at kick it forward IA, and online at www.kifsoccer.com. We would also like to thank our generous sponsors, including Scott Insurance Services, Michael Keener, Attorney at Law, and Purple Poppy Boutique. Michael Keener, Attorney at Law. Based in Des Moines, Michael's practice includes trial litigation matters with an emphasis on commercial litigation, personal injury, criminal defense, and issues in the legislature, and Iowa's administrative agencies. Michael is a longtime supporter of Kick It Forward and the work it does in the Iowa soccer community. You can reach him at 515-245-4330 or via email at mkeener at griefsydney.com. This podcast is now distributed on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Make sure to rate and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Hi there. I'm Ben Brackett with my good friend Blake Sievers, and we are here to talk soccer. That's right, Ben. All Iowa soccer, all the time. Welcome to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Iowa soccer supporters. Ben Brackett here, your co-host with my good buddy Blake Sievers. Blake, what's up? Hey, Ben. Um, not a whole lot. Good to be back in the studio. It kind of feels like it's been a while, but I don't know if it really has been. No, you know, it's probably one of those, like, uh, just hard things to judge because we enjoy being here so much. Uh, you know, we're doing a morning morning pod today, which uh, isn't always our favorite time to pod, but I, I feel like we're pretty we're pretty chipper this morning. So far, so good. I think. Yeah, know. pretty pretty exciting pod today. We're uh, we're just gonna kind of um, what do they say? You know, kind of make hay while the sun shines. I think is a that's a. That's a phrase, right? You're a farmer. Absolutely, Ben. Yeah, so we're going to make some hay while the sun shines and get uh, take advantage of having Jeff back on to talk about the MLS uh, semifinals or conference finals that just happened and then uh, preview the MLS Cup final, which we'll see Seattle take on Toronto FC. Um, Jeff and his Atlanta United boys were knocked out, weren't they? They were, but it's uh, I don't. Know, it's always interesting. I think when you get a player who's had a pretty impactful, um, been impactful on the game, his take on it. Yeah, he he always has an interesting take on the actual uh, uh, game. Uh, that's unique to what what we might think of it, but then also uh, a little bit of that inside info, whether it's about the refs or the VAR decisions or uh, what players. Uh, uh, you know, little player intricacies. I don't know. It always has a couple good stories. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe segueing, Ben, I hope by uh, next time we record the pod, you know, we're doing a little interior decorating here in the studio. And, you know, we may need to get this red light on so uh, the folks that enter during <laughs> recording that just happened right now um, see that we're recording and stay out. Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, I think maybe the Titan Tactician is just feeling a little lonely or a little jealous because he's not uh, included in this uh, Stories with Jeff pod, but that's all right. Well, just let, say, hey, do you want to give a quick sh- shout out? Uh, not really, but I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't realize spot. you guys are still recording, so. Uh, well, we're going to call you out. Uh, so a little, little uh, live potting there for you all. 
Uh, let's, should we get to Jeff? Let's get to Jeff. No more of this Titan tactician. <laughs> All right, frequent contributor Jeff Lorenowitz. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me back. Uh, we had a, we had a long conversation after the last episode, and when we found out your result in uh, the semifinal, we weren't we weren't sure we should have you back. Why you guys don't like losers or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the case, or we wouldn't be here together. Uh... <laughs> the marketing piece of just uh, MLS semifinalist doesn't really. Yeah, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that ring to it, does it? <laughs> I was afraid you were going to be too salty uh, to come on, but no, no, this the salt is passed. Yeah, well, so let's uh, let's just hop into that. <laughs> we want, I mean, um, talk about your game. It's a, a, it seemed like it, I mean, it really could have gone either way, um, but one goal games sometimes end up being you know that's the the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. We we came out really, really strong. We went up 1-0 as we usually do when we play at home. We kind of jump all over teams, and you could see it in the faces of the Toronto players. They were thinking, oh, no. Um, a couple minutes later, we kind of broke free. Pity Martinez is back kind of behind the the last man of Toronto going 1v1 with the goalkeeper. He gets taken down from behind inside of the box um, to kind of go off of last week's conversation about refereeing and VAR we get the penalty the referee listens to the VAR regarding yellow versus red card the foul was actually by Michael Bradley um, he decided to go with yellow card and um, we subsequently missed the penalty and then I'd say less than five minutes maybe even less than three minutes later Toronto came down the other end and scored they made it 1-1 Ask. Uh, yeah you know, and then second half, you know, really all game, we were all over them, like all over them. I don't think we've ever played a better game against Toronto. They were without Josie Altador. Um, Omar Gonzalez was also, I think, not fully fit, so he didn't start. Um, but really, we've never played a better game against a Toronto team. We were we were down their throats. And then it's crazy, like it. it a couple minutes they scored, but a couple minutes before they scored, one of um, one of our one of our players was down, and they kicked the ball out for us. And so when play restarted, they you know we threw it into one of our players. One of our players kind of kicked it out for a throw in deeper in their end, um, and that didn't make them very happy. So a couple minutes later, there was a tackle on the sideline. One of our players had the ball. Nick DeLeon tackled him, and our players stayed down. And a lot of our players were like, yo, kick it out, you know? And they didn't, probably because of what happened only a few minutes before. They run down the other field. Nick DeLeon dribbles, 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 and just pulls up and shoots from 25 yards and scores 2-1. Um, and they beat us 2-1. I mean, last 10 minutes of the game, we were throwing everything at them, and we couldn't score. And and that was it. They They're in the final, and we're in the off season. Yeah, that good strike. I mean, to be fair, on the winner. Uh, but then, so, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm sort of questioning, like, if the there's an injury and you you throw it back, you know, you do that whole scenario you talked about. What what's wrong with knocking it back out of bounds, like deeper in their their area? That's kind of that is a uh, 
Is that a dick move? Yeah, absolutely it is, I think. It's slightly, I mean, it's unwritten rules of soccer, I think. Um, as far as kicking the ball out, I, I, I think it's very, very clear for me when I'm on the field. If a guy is down, the referee has the obligation to stop it if he feels it's a head injury or a very bad, serious injury that needs, like, immediate medical attention. For all other things, I, I say you play on. I, I don't care what's going on because – too many times you see that break up the flow of play. You know for sure what the guy is doing. And even if it's my own player, my reaction is you got to play on until they, right. until they kick it out. Now, right. But, I so, but so I agree. I agree with that. But so if you, if in the situation you talk about though, like there was an injury, somebody, whoever it was, somebody decided to knock it out. What it, it, it would have been, they, like they decided to knock it out. So then when you, you threw back in, they, I mean, that just doesn't seem like, why would they get upset? Well, I mean, they're, they're in possession and it was kind of in their, in their defensive half, but near midfield. So it wasn't like, you know, they were in this secure state of, of ball possession. I think it was more of like, you know, they were trying to advance up the field and we had players behind the ball. So it wasn't like they were free. Um, So I think to kick it out of bounds for a throw in right there is, is not the most sporting thing you can do, but it's also like get on with the game, man. You know, what do you think? We're just going to give you a free play here. I think that if you want to throw it in and kick it back to your goalkeeper, then that's fine. But if you're going to throw it in right here, we're going to pressure you, and and that's kind of expected. It happened to us in the previous game where the ball was kicked deep, deep, deep by our goal in the corner, and when they threw it back in, they said, "Look," they said to us on the field, "We're going to throw it into you, but we're going to pressure you," and and, and we said, "Fine." You kind of just have to get on with it in that case, but. It totally affected them. It totally affected us on the play when the goal happens. You know, one or two players stop. Um, they advance the ball 60 yards to get on top of our goal. And, and really the mistake was ours because when the player was around our goal, we had pressure on him and then we let him go. And he shot for free basically with no pressure from 20 yards, 25 yards. All right, Jeff, kind of let's uh, make this lighthearted a little bit. You know, you went down injured uh, there, I believe, in the second half. Can you give us a little insight of, uh, of what happened, how you got hurt, and then, uh, <laughs> and then how play resumed? I can tell you exactly what happened. So in the, in the first half, um, Jonathan Osorio, who's a midfielder for Toronto, he kind of played the ball at the top of the box and tried to make a run through, you know, in behind the defense. And – Brack, I think you can attest to this. We were taught to break Walk runs. How do you break runs, right? You step in front of the guy. You get your body in between him and wherever he wants to go. And you allow the referee to decide if it's a foul. I'm not saying you foul the guy, but you get in his way. So yeah. I got in his way, and he didn't like it. So that happened in the first half. The second half, I chased him down. He was kind of dribbling towards the sideline, which is my favorite place to get somebody into a tackle. And... <laughs> um. He's dribbling. I'm on his back shoulder. I'm thinking I'm going to crush this guy. So I end up, you know, tackling him. The referee calls a foul. He goes down on the ground. And as he's down on the ground, he kind of donkey kicks up at me. You know, he pushes up and tries to kick me, essentially. And he kicks me. And he connects in the one place that male soccer players don't want to be connected with. And That's the worst. So I went down. I knew exactly what he was doing. And he connected and I said, well, let's just see what the referee decides to do here. Um, They threw the ball back in and play resumed and nothing happened. 
And I think that that kind of goes along with how the referee decided to call the game, which also kind of piggybacks last week's conversation. He was very lenient and he didn't want himself to be the story of the game. And is Alan Kelly, who is actually European and has a lot, a lot of experience refereeing in Europe. And he's, he's my favorite referee. And I give him a lot of credit for how he called the game. Um, but yeah, he, I was I was trying to see what he, what he would call, and he decided to call nothing. <laughs> so it's interesting though, like the, the VAR thing, like something like that. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are people that would say like, "Oh, he didn't mean to do that, whatever." But like, you know, when you're at that level and uh, you you remember little plays like that, and everything, every little uh, thing kind of adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, of course, of course, and. You know, that's part of the psychology of the game between the two teams and the referee. And then if you're the home team, you, you add the fans as well. So there's there's four elements involved. And I think that, um, you know, the goal on the field is obviously to win the soccer game. But there's also a third element that, you know, you're, you're trying to have a leg up or you want to have hand with the referee so that, you know you're on the on the on the positive side of these calls, and I think that that's kind of the key job of a captain to control his teammates and control the ear of the referee. I don't think this is like anything new or anything that's um, unsportsmanlike, but I think having a conversation throughout the game with the referee is is really really important. Um, and and like I said last week, you know, there's referees that you feel like you can talk to, and Alan Kelly is certainly one of those one of those refs can you give us any uh insight jeff to to the penalty because on tv it looks like bradley's the last man so it can be debated whether it's a foul or not but if to me if if the foul is called he should be sent off so and, and this is and and this is sorry go ahead no that, i was saying if it's not a foul then um Pity should be booked for a yellow card. So I just, those so are, for me, those are the two options. This is, and we have referee meetings every year at the beginning of the season where they show, they give us a, an hour to two hour presentation describing all the new laws and calls and implementation of VAR, et cetera, so that everybody knows going into the season. And one of the things that they've been, been harping on and trying to change is what's called dog so. Do you guys know what dog so stands for? It's like the triple punishment or whatever, right? Well, it's den- denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity. Yes. So I think guys have talked about that. Like, yeah, we had so, a referee on and he talked about that with us. Okay. So in the situation, Pity's behind their, def- their defense. He is going to be fouled by the last man. So obvious goal scoring opportunity, right? Right. So, he gets fouled by Michael Bradley. The question was, was it a f- not was it a foul or not a foul, as it used to be. The question was, does Michael Bradley make a play for the ball or not? Because in a dog-so situation, if Michael Bradley, or in a lot of cases the goalkeeper, makes a play for the ball, the dog-so situation means that it's then a yellow. It's a yellow and a penalty or if it's outside the box, a yellow and a free kick. But if he doesn't make a play for the ball, then it's a red card. And in this situation, the referee decided that Michael Bradley wanted to make a play on the ball. But if you watch the play, 
he grabs Pity's upper body and makes a foul on his upper body. At which point we felt not only was it dog so, but he did not make a play for the ball. And that's why we felt it should have been a red card. But the referee says he tried to make a play on the ball. He spoke with the VAR and he decided to give a yellow. Now this, this rule was implemented because Brack, you and I and all of our friends have spoken about the most devastating move in sports is the PK red card, right? <laughs> it's uh, it, it kills your team. Kills it, team. It kills a team, kills a game, and really a foul on a goalkeeper um, when he's trying to make a play on the ball is is how many fouls happen throughout the game, just not in the box, right? Guy makes a foul at midfield. He's not getting sent off. So you have a, a dog so situation in the box, and generally the, they're going to happen between the player on the ball and the goalkeeper. And they felt that if a player is going in 1v1 versus the goalkeeper, tries to you know go around the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper slides and dives for the ball, misses the ball, gets the player. How many times have we seen that? A million times. Yeah. They felt like this isn't a situation where we need to send a player off. So they've implemented this rule. They said if the goalkeeper is going for the ball or anybody, the last man in the box is going for the ball and they miss and it's dog. So then it's going to be a yellow and that allows the game to continue as it should. And you're not sending somebody off, um, which I think is good. I think that that's smart, but in the situation we saw in our game, when a player makes an upper body foul and there's, there's a bit of a dispute there and there's, it's a difference. And I think in that instance, the referee got it wrong by the book. However, I think his mind was more on keeping it an even game and allowing play to continue. And I don't, I don't fault him for that. You know, my 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 opinion outside of the outside of the rule book is that's fine. But come on, in a conference final, I want the guy sent off. Let's go up to zero, up a man, and let's move on. But it didn't happen that way. Is that a uh, is that just a privilege of being Michael Bradley? I think that if you talk about the the relationship between the captain and the referee, Michael Bradley's the captain of Toronto. Um, I think that a lot, if you watch our games in the second half of 2017 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we got so many VAR red cards and absolutely obliterated teams. New England Revolution, for example, we beat them 7-0. They got two red cards and we killed them at home. And I think that referees, when they get together and they discuss refereeing games at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which I would say is probably the hardest place to referee a game in the league, they say to err on the side of caution. I don't think it's necessarily a Michael Bradley situation, although I think there's, you know, that was one ingredient in the recipe. But I think a lot of it is keep the game under control. Don't let it get outrageous. This is a game that a lot of people are going to be watching. And it's um, kind of one of those games. It's a marquee game for our league that's going to be shown worldwide. And we have to keep it under control. And I think that that is something that goes into the referee's thinking. So do you approve or disapprove of that? Um, This is – I don't know. This is the – I Like I said last week, I'm into the subjectivity of refereeing. I think that you allow people to decide. Um, but at the same time, you make us sit through these videos. And, and on May 13th, when the Revs are playing Columbus on a Wednesday night and there's no one in the stadium, you know you're sending the guy off. So right. 
why do you change? Um, but oh, I don't don't want to listen to seventy thousand people let you know. Well, yeah, that's true, but I don't know. Yeah, it's part of the game. I, I'm 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 fine with it. We, we had we had opportunities to win the game. We had so many opportunities to win the game, and we didn't. So um, you just have to move on. Yeah, fair enough. Still a good season. Obviously, you guys won two trophies and, um, you know, finished in the top four of the league uh, postseason and finished in, the, what were you guys, you know, top couple in the, the league overall, right, or during the, during the year? Yeah, we were second in the East, third um, in the Supporters' Shield race, which is the best record. So, I mean – it seems like it, in Atlanta, that's the standard, you know, that's kind of the, the floor, if you will, of, of where, where you want to finish. Um, so Blake's got me turned on to this uh, new uh, Benny Fellhaber, Sal Zizzo podcast. Yeah. They, I've heard, I've heard one. Yeah. yeah. So they always ask their guests, like kind of like what, what MLS team would you play for if you could choose? And right. they all say Atlanta, like everybody. Yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, MLS, not insiders, but people that follow the league and players for, for sure know is that outside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, outside of the fan base coming to the games, we have a $60 million training facility that is as beautiful as it gets in soccer. Um, there are three grass fields three turf fields. Um, everything is housed there. All of our soccer um, operations are, have offices there. Our second team plays out of there. The first team is obviously there. And then there are academy locker rooms and all the academy teams play their games there. Um, it's That's gorgeous. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's as good as it gets. And sometimes when you go around the league and you see other clubs training facilities, um, who have actually built new training facilities recently. LAFC, for example, built theirs on the campus of Cal State LA. And, you know, you look at videos and pictures and you're like, wow, this is, this is gorgeous. And then we went there this year and it's tiny. There's one field. The building is beautiful, state of the art, but there's one field and a parking lot that our bus could barely get into. And then Vancouver is another example where it was like, wow, this is beautiful. This rivals ours. And then we went there this year and they had one field and a beautiful building. Ours is like sprawling and they take care of us so well. And we have chefs and food and it's, it's as good as it gets. So outside of game days and outside of playing in front of all those people and having the support of the entire city, you go to work every day at this beautiful place that really just allows you to, to focus on playing as, as well as possible. So Jeff, um, that's a perfect segue, but I just got one quick question. Um, if you can provide a one word answer, like Ben said, winning two trophies, successful season for Atlanta United. Are you looking for a yes or no? Yeah, but you can elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> so lenient, Blake. Um, I would say, I would say yes in the, in the, you know, grand scheme of, of MLS teams. But we also just like bowed out of the Champions League. We started the, the year in last place. Um, winning the Open Cup is great, but tell me the last five Open Cup winners, you know? 
winning the champ or winning the Campionas Cup is is great, but that's a one off game and we played at home. Um, we were 15 minutes and a goal away from going to the MLS Cup and hosting it again, and I think that that's going to leave a sour taste in everyone's mouth. I think that calling it a successful season, like I said, in the grand scheme of things, is fine, but I think um, history probably won't be as kind to this season as as you know it should be, it, as we feel it is right now. That's fair. so. I would say we 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 needed to do better, but we qualified for the Champions League last year or next year. Sorry. So one of the main positives to come, other than you know winning a trophy, winning the Open Cup is is qualification for the Champions League, and that and that's a huge goal for this club. Fair enough. That's that uh, sort of teased Blake up for his segue. Uh, so go for it. Steve. Yeah. So be, uh, thanks, Ben. So Jeff, where to, you're a free agent now? Is that correct? Yes. Okay, do you have it? Is there a team option, player option? Where do you stand personally, contract wise? I, I have no contract, so okay. I'm I'm technically out of contract. So I am a free agent. Free agency in the league as it stands right now, players qualify with at 28 years old with eight years of service. So you have to qualify in both categories. So you, um, you might do that. So I just barely make it, and then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 36 and I have 15 years, so I've, I've <laughs> doubled it. Um, but yeah, so what it allows is is a form of really rest- of restricted free agency. I mean, you talk about free agency in other leagues or unrestricted versus restricted free agency. There are salary limitations um, for free agents. So if you sign with a new team, you're capped at how much um, you can sign for. Whereas if you stay with your home team, um, you have unlimited um, salary options. So say I was on a million dollars last year. If I left as a free agent to sign with Sporting Kansas City, I could only sign for 1.5. But if I stay with Atlanta, I could sign for 10. So... um, Jesus, you're making a lot of money these days, Jeff. I didn't. Know yeah, that was that was. I've added a few zeros to that <laughs> to that uh, to that example. Um, but so yeah, it is it is a restricted form of free agency. But the the main goal of getting free agency in the last CBA is to break down kind of the philosophical walls between the players and the league. The league has built has been built in a way that limits any choice for players and we felt that getting some sort of choice to be able to go and play where you'd like to play was huge for us and a huge philosophical victory now that was five years ago we have a new cba coming next year um that we're looking to sign that will hopefully continue to improve on all of the restrictions surrounding free agency and all of the other things that the league governs itself on is there a window that opens or is it whenever you play these, you know, the guys in your position that have put in the time, their last game ends, you're open to taking calls or. And, there, uh, there is a date. I believe it's just after the final. Um, so the, the, the off season, and this happens in every sport, at least in every American sport, the off season is a busy time for GMs and front offices. You have, the expansion draft. So next season you'll have Miami and Nashville coming in. So every team will be able to protect 10 players and the rest of their rosters unprotected. 
So those two new teams will go through a back-and-forth draft where they'll be able to select players of each team's unprotected list. Then you also have the re-entry draft, which was the original player movement um, mechanism that we created two CBAs ago, that if you're out of contract or or your um, option wasn't picked up by the club, you go into a re-entry draft where you go in at your option price and every team has a chance to, to take you. So that happens as well. And then you have free agents and then you have um, the college draft. So the off season's a busy time for, for player movement. So without, you know, before we kind of ask the obvious question, um, something I'm curious about is, you know, so it's been a, what, like four or five days since your last game, mm-hmm. um, what I, I assume you've taken a, a couple days off and you know just spent time with the family and that kind of stuff. Um, but what do you what do you do? I assume you're you're not uh, just like hanging them up. So do you like are you able to still go into the facility and train, or you, or are you like because you're a free agent you like have to go to like the local gym or like what do you, what do you do? No, no, the club allows you to have continued access to the facility. So I actually went in yesterday, you know, at the end of the year, you're carrying a few injuries, um, minor or major, and you'll go in and continue to rehab those. I think that, you know, we have, and each team has kind of a strength and conditioning arm of their coaching staff. And our strength and conditioning coach sets out a plan, lets you know what he'd like you to be doing and lets you know based on how much work you've put in this season when he'd like you to begin. And I think that for us, considering how long of a season we had in 2018, how short of an offseason we had in between 18 and 19, and then how how long we played in 2019, he wants everyone to take some time off. But um, I know that sounds like a couple of months, but he wants, I think, everyone to begin their workout programs on December 1st. Wow. Well, that's at least that's a little time. I, it's funny because I know at the end of uh, or at the beginning of this season, you made the comment that you weren't sure your body would just, would hold up because the season previously was so long and arduous itself. It yeah, like you've done okay. Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, I, I had a healthy healthy year, and you know, I think that what you do in the off season and how you get yourself ready for the year is is so important. And I think that there are many different kind of shades of preparation for a younger player. That might be lots of work. And for an older player, it might be less work. You know, I think that you, you take a guy like um, myself or Michael Parkhurst guys that are in their mid thirties, guys that played a lot of minutes, they're looking to kind of let their body shut down, let the body heal itself in certain ways and then slowly get yourself back going. And I think that most coaching staffs and and strength and conditioning staffs are aware of that. And and as the game kind of becomes more scientific, you see much more um, tailoring to the programs, especially once you start in preseason. Um, You know, we all wear GPS monitors. We all wear heart monitors. They have every kind of step broken down on every player and, and that allows them to get in their little science lab and figure out exactly what they want everyone to do. 
So what are you doing during the month of November just for your, like yourself? What's your, what's your plan? Well, I'll continue to, to rehab. I, I had two injuries that I carried through the year, um, minor ones. And I met with the staff yesterday and they, they just said to, they're kind of over chronic overuse things. So the, the best thing to do is to underuse. So it basically means to shut it down for a little bit. Um, so I, I really won't be doing much physically. Um, so the next few weeks through Thanksgiving, through the, the end of November, it'll just be, you know, taking it easy, taking the kids to preschool and, and hanging out. Sounds lovely. Is there going to be uh, probably good diagnosis in case this weekend you need a few days to uh, to recover as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, this weekend for me, we're going to Michigan for a friend's wedding, Brack and I. Um, it's a quick weekend for me. I'm, I'm in and out. So I think I should be okay. Although at 36, the uh, the, the feelings the, the morning after are a bit different than they used to be. <laughs> yeah, I think we can both attest to that. Uh, I certainly can, uh, but the commitment from this guy—he's he's like getting up early Sunday so he can go back and watch his boy play like t-ball or baseball or something. Yeah, he's got his last baseball game on Sunday, um, so I really hope it doesn't snow in Detroit. It's supposed to on Sunday, and um, yeah, I'll wake up and head out. Well, you, ben, you say get up early the other way, like may just stay up a little. A yeah, little late. <laughs> I, there's, there's always two schools of thought, yeah. That that's true, and I've usually selected one of those schools. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I've graduated from that school, though. So we'll have to see, won't we? We will. Uh, we will have to see, Brack. <laughs> so you'll enjoy a lot of family time, enjoy the holidays, or at least the beginning of the holiday season, and then kind of get back to work. Um, I mean, I assume like your goal must be to stay in Atlanta, right? Yeah, the goal is to keep playing. The goal is to, you know, feel comfortable with whatever contract comes through. And um, I've really enjoyed every year here in Atlanta. This year was one of the tougher ones, um, just with all the ups and downs. And, I, you know, it's the fewest minutes I've played in a long, long time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for the best opportunity. And, and at this point, with – a family, a wife, two kids, um, the best opportunity is not just which salary number is the highest. highest. It's, it's about, you know, what, what's best for everybody. So we're going to go through the process of, of finding out exactly what that, what that means. Maybe uh, wherever you sign your deal, whether it's Atlanta or somewhere else, we can maybe break that news. Yeah. Ben here on the pod. <laughs> there you go. There like, you go. Like always angling. Up, uh, the, up the listenership. Yeah, <laughs> we certainly uh, want to keep you involved. Uh, we were just talking earlier about some other uh, little things we could have you talk about in the, the near future. But before we even worry about that, let's let's kind of jump over to the other side of the the bracket. Uh, and so, I mean, if you're an MLS fan, you, maybe you're excited about another Seattle Toronto final. But I think there are some fans that are going like again. I think a lot of people are saying that. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of people wanted to see LAFC um, have that perfect year. You know, they had the coach of the year. They had the supporter shield. They had the MVP. Um, and people really enjoyed what they did this year. 
but People Seattle's going to play you, right? I think so. It's kind of the um, the new the new blood of MLS kind of go at each other. I think both teams have had somewhat similar um, what's it called game plans as they came into the league. Both have had incredible support from from day one, and you know it's like the East Coast West Coast thing. It's the the big time, big money spent. Let's see who the best team really is. And it's last year's champ versus this year's supporter shield. That that's what it would have been. So um, I think a lot of people wanted to see that, but alas, it's not. Not meant to be. No, not meant to be. Not meant to be. But. Seattle went in there and just took it to them. It was a really, really good game to watch if you're a Seattle fan or if you're an LAFC hater, which I'm not. But I, I just really enjoyed watching Seattle's game plan. They, they played such a good game there, um, and they they deserve to be in the final. When you, you basically said, like, they were going to have to, you know, stand on their heads and play out of their minds to uh, make it happen. Yeah, I mean, with LAFC, you have to make them feel – uncomfortable because and and this is like this isn't um it's not made up when you play in la you are comfortable man you know it's it's sunny every day everyone is happy you feel like what you're doing is the greatest thing on earth and it really is i played in la it i played for the galaxy it's so comfortable and their soccer showed it this year they had great players on the ball they had um game plan and they just got on a roll but you have to disrupt that you have to make them uncomfortable and i think specifically through the center of the field for seattle that night they made them extremely uncomfortable roldan svensson um rui diaz ladero they just worked their socks off and you outwork them, you put in tackles, you clog the middle of the field, and you make them defend. And Seattle did that, and they came away winners, and I, I thought they deserved to be. Vela kind of got uh, – I mean, it seemed like they tried to kick him every opportunity they could as well. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I think that um, there were a couple questionable VAR moments. But Jair Marufo, who has refereed in the league for a really, really long time, if you compare how he refereed that game with how Ellen Kelly refereed our game, the two conference finals, I would say that the the theme was to let the players play. And Vela um, got hit a couple of times and a couple of times in the box. And Jair said, no, thanks. Keep playing. And then then the game's decided by the, the players and not the rule book. And um, Seattle stepped up and and L.A. didn't as much. So what do you think about this final? I think um I think LA or sorry, I think Seattle's got great karma on their side. You know, I don't know if you saw um Brian Schmetzer's interview after the game. He could tell they're just a team that's focused. And I think that unless unless Toronto get Josie Altador back, Seattle are, are the better team. But um it just seems like Seattle have quietly, as they always do, gotten through the MLS year, and they're sitting there at MLS Cup, and and um, they're they're just kind of clicking. You look at the team that's that's 
winning games versus the team that's, you know, gotten through. And Toronto went to extra time to beat D.C. Toronto was gifted two goals to beat New York City. Um, I thought they were outplayed against us. Um, And here they are in the final. So Seattle, although they went to extra time against Dallas, I think that in their games they've they've been the really – kind of comfortable team and, and they'll be playing the game at home too. You kind of bring up an interesting point there with Altador. So they've made it to the final if he's healthy. Just interesting the decision they make, Vanny makes. Does he play or do they keep going with the boys that have got him there? I think he I think he absolutely plays. I think that um you kind of shift the team around a little bit and there'll be a midfielder that comes off and you, and you, you put a forward on and, and Josie changes games. I mean, I think that if he's 80% healthy, you play him because Toronto is basically playing with, you know, this false nine, this modern soccer term where you put a player up there who's not really a forward in that position and he drops in and, and gets the ball at his feet and you have wingers that attack from out wide. And um, I think, you know, in times of Barcelona, Messi was that type of player, and um, Pozuelo is is doing that for them right now. But you stick Josie up front, you occupy the center backs, and you allow Pozuelo to play underneath, and and I think they're much much more dangerous. Well, Got a prediction for us now that you're completely out of the. Uh, you have no excuses now. Just yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd say three um, one Seattle. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, although <laughs> I would say that MLS is probably one of the hardest leagues in the world to predict on any given day. Um, so Toronto, again, even like I was saying before, we played them, they have so much talent and experience and they can put together games. But I I feel like Seattle's the healthier team. Seattle's playing at home and – they just are clicking right now. Well, I don't think that you can say much more than that uh, about the game. I think most people probably agree with you. But, uh, you know, Toronto, without without their uh, their top guys, especially somebody like Josie, they're probably not quite as dangerous. So we will see. Uh, or yeah, I guess you're going to be watching baseball. during. Are you going to be watching baseball during the game? Uh, I will not be watching the game. Um I know you guys asked me that before if we got knocked out, and I, I cannot watch that game. Well, what will you do instead? Anything else, Ben. <laughs> Anything else. Um, I don't even know what time kickoff is. Is it a night kickoff, a day kickoff? I'm not sure. But I got a T-ball game, and then, um, yeah, I won't be putting that game on. There might be a little recovery period in there. Could well, be. So... Could be. <laughs> there could be. Um, well, so uh... – I guess, you know, maybe what we'll do is uh, leave it here unless you've got any great uh, MLS Cup stories that you'd like to tell us. You know, you've, you've played in how many now? I've played in um, – I've been, I've been to five. I've played in four. And you've won? Two. Not a bad record, really. Yeah, it's okay. I would have liked to have won one more. We played my my first three years in the league, two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven. I was in New England, and we went to the final all three of those years. 
Um, and it was, it was an amazing introduction to the league because every year you're like, yep, conference finals, no problem. Beat the fire. Let's go to the final. But every year we lost. Um, the first year we lost in extra time. The second year we lost in a shootout. And the third year we lost 2-1. We lost to LA, Houston, and Houston. Um, but it, it, it was rough. It is funny. I mean, and this is, what, this is why it's hard to predict, right? So we, we played 2005, we played LA. It was in Dallas. They had just opened what was then called Pizza Hut Park, which is their stadium there in Frisco. And it was beautiful. It was such a great day. And we play, it, it was tight. And at the end of the game, our wide midfielder is kind of getting pressured on the sideline and he's getting pressured from, from our defensive goal by a guy who's running at him. And he decides to try and kick it off of the guy. And in trying to kick it off of the guy, he misses and it goes about 30 yards down over the end line for a corner kick. And in extra time during the days of golden goal, they take, they take the corner kick and the ball falls to a guy who hits a volley from 18 yards and scores, and we lose the game. We lose. I think it was 2-1. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you talk about the chance. This thing about the final is anything can happen. So Toronto and Seattle, anything can happen. And, and that day in 2005, a guy tries to do a kind of simple play, which leads to a corner, which leads to the goal, and, and that's how we lose. But three years in New England of losing those games – with some of the the best players MLS has seen, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about all my teammates. They really deserved to win one of those finals, um, but we never did. So I think it's funny from my recollection. Um, I don't know if it was. It must have been the the 2006 that 2006 year was the one you you played your first the first one you played in, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was like somebody got hurt and you got subbed on and you hadn't played much at all that year. And you had, and maybe when you had, you played like center back and you got plugged in the midfield. No, I played, I played more that year, Brack. That was 2006. And I, I remember you getting subbed into the final in one of the games and it was like, you had not gotten it. Like, it was kind of like, Whoa, just playing in the final. I did. I got in the final. I got subbed in the conference final. We played in DC. Um, Daniel Hernandez was the midfielder and, and I got subbed in for him. And it was early in the game, and we won that game, and I'm thinking, oh, man, maybe I'll start in the final. I played like 25 games that year, um, but I didn't. Um, I didn't start. Daniel started, and obviously he was the more experienced guy and the better player at the time, but um, I got subbed in in extra time, and I only played maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe less, and it goes to penalties, and I'm 21, two years old in the final amongst all these kind of MLS legends and Stevie Nicks drawing up the the penalty kick list. And he put me at six. And in that game, Poor Pat Noonan. Steve Ralston had a groin thing and Clint Dempsey had a groin thing. And both of those players said they couldn't shoot. So our list got kind of 
twisted around and I was sixth. And it's, um, I think, four three, going to the fifth shooter who's Jay Heaps. Houston's up 4-3. I think Pat Noonan missed. Someone for Houston missed. Um, so Jay has to make it to to continue the shootout. And I'm thinking, you know, come on, Jay. Let's go. we got to keep this going. But then I'm also thinking, God, if Jay makes this, then I'm walking up and I'm, I've got to shoot next. Um, and it was, it was a nerve-wracking moment. Unfortunately, Jay missed, and that was the kick that lost the game. But, you know, I was that close to – taking a, a penalty in a final. Um, I, I was on Twitter the other day and they were showing that shootout just like as a, you know, throwback to MLS cup, whatever, mm-hmm. just like a split second camera view of you. And you look like a baby. You look so young. Yeah. F- 14 years ago. Yeah. F- 15 Crazy. years ago. Um, sorry, 14 years ago, but yeah, I mean, those days in new England were great. I wish we had won one of those finals the following year, 2007, we played Houston in DC. It was in November and it was like this beautiful day, 60, 65 degrees. It was such a good game. And that was the game when I told you Connor Smith headbutted one of the Houston players and the ref (laughs) said, I owe you one on that one. Um, But again, it was one of those games where in the first half, Pat Noonan has this opportunity to score. Um, I think, Pat Onstead makes a save. The game kind of turns from there. Houston makes a tactical shift at halftime where they kind of push Dwayne DeRosario up front. He scores one of the best headers I've ever seen live to score their second goal. They go up 2-1 at the very, very, very end of the game. We have a corner kick. And I go up, and I'm I'm wide open on the, on the near post. And I head the ball down. I head the ball through the goalkeeper's legs. I'm basically scoring the goal that's going to send this game to extra time. And Pat Onstead sits on it, and he makes a save somehow. <laughs> As I'm heading the ball. So that was maybe with eight, five or eight minutes left. As I'm heading the ball, Eddie Robinson, who is known as one of the I'll-kick-anything-that-moves type of defenders, um, is nowhere near the ball. I'm going up in the air, jumping for the ball. He's behind me. And to throw me off as I'm heading it, he just side volleys me in the leg. (laughs) And I'm talking like he's six feet away from making any contact with the ball. He's pulling a Cobra Kai sweep the leg move. And so he side volleys me in the just below the knee on the outside. So you have that kind of small bone, the fibula in your leg. And he cracks me. So for the last five or eight minutes of the game, I can't run. Pat Onstead makes the save. I can't run. And the game ends 2-1. I end up getting an x-ray. I had like kind of like a hairline fracture in my leg. But he, he just basically hauled off and kicked me. <laughs> I don't know if he threw me off because I made great contact with the header. But Pat Onstead makes the save. I've got kind of a broken leg, and that was the end of the final. They won two one, and Houston won back to back. They beat us twice. Ugh. So, how about uh, here's a good little uh, question to leave you with: Which was a better party, the uh, the party after the Denver win or the party after the Atlanta win? Um, two different 
two different parties. The funny thing about going to the final when you have these these clubs, and I don't know if they're superstitious or what, but or if they're just broke. I mean, with the Rapids, I don't know if I already told you guys this, but we won in Toronto. Um, we beat Dallas in extra time. We won 2-1. And we got on the bus after the game, and everybody, you know, there was beer and champagne or whatever in the locker room, and we finally get on the bus. You get on the bus like hours after the game. And Gary Smith, who's the coach, gets up and says, says what he has to say. Congratulations on a great season, guys. What a phenomenal run. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. And I want to let you know that um, the team has organized the bar across the street from the hotel to stay open 15 minutes after closing time. <laughs> and we're going, are you kidding me? So we didn't party when we were in Toronto. I remember my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, came up and she had a hotel somewhere else, and we basically went to bed. That was it after the game. Um, and so the party happened when we got back to Colorado, and the way we, we did it, we got a party bus, and everyone picked a color from the hat. That's right. I told you guys that story. So yeah. that, that was that party in Colorado. When we came back, we didn't really party um, last year, the night after the final. It was like everyone went to a club. It was weird. It was loud. It was not that much fun. But then after a couple of days, we had the parade. And that night after the parade, everyone got together and brought the the trophy to a couple bars it was a good time so you kind of became a uh you went viral didn't you a little bit yeah it was a, a nervy time um <laughs> the guy who hates social media well that's the thing i mean i i shouldn't have been so ignorant to how quickly things can happen so that was a lesson learned for me but we had a good time you're just so old jeff you don't know well i think that's part of it i think that's part of it not being naive and, and stupid um is another part but it's it's so much fun. I mean, the thing about winning a championship is no matter what it is, you go back and you see somebody who was on that team that you haven't seen in 15 years and you immediately smile and you give them a hug. And what you, all you're thinking about is, man, remember that night when we won that game and, and we were the best team in the league. And that's whether you're 14, 15 years old winning a state cup or a regional final or whatever it is, or if you're, 35 and winning the MLS cup. It doesn't matter, but that's, that's what's so special about, you know, competing for trophies and, and winning them and, and being on the team. Favorite trophy of all time, Jeff. <sighs> I don't know. I, I think I know the answer. You do. I think I do. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with Providence. No, I know. I mean, it, I, when I was a kid, I, I played club soccer and I, that I won the, I was on a team that won at the time it was USYSA. I don't even know what they call it anymore. I don't think teams compete in the same way, but we won the national championship back to back years. And Ben, you know, for sure <laughs> that during our time in college, I was so proud of that team and I love that team so much. And after we won, me and my teammate got together and, made highlight tapes of, of those seasons and I would make guys at Brown watch the highlight tapes. So, oh man, I've seen it so many times. So I would say that um, one of those trophies is my favorite of all time because, and you guys know, when you grow up and play on a club team with guys for four or five, six years and you've known each other since you were 12 years old, 
um, there's there's no bond like that. You know, it doesn't happen in many other places in college for sure. But that's also because you're together for four years. But guys cycle in and out of college, you know, guys graduate, new freshmen come in when you play on a club team and you're looking at the same guys almost every year. And it was such a close group. And that's what I'm talking about. We won those championships 2002 and 2003. And if I see any of those guys, it's incredible. We played in Philadelphia this year, which is where I'm from. And one of my teammates from one of those years was at the game screaming at me from the sideline. I haven't seen him in probably more than 15 years. Who was it? His name is Brian Beam. Um, it was not was a guy. It? He wasn't not, one of the famous uh, famous Delco guys. I don't know if there's any famous Delco guys, but he was on that team. Um, but, yeah, I hadn't seen him forever. And then it was like, you know, oh, my gosh, that there he is. And you just immediately get, get taken back to that, that time. Yeah, those, the good old days. That's funny uh, because we played against each other in one of those national tournaments and on those highlight tapes, Jeff would make, there was a, a goal where like, I don't know, I was like running back trying to save it. And I like, like, it's my only, it's my only little like cameo in your video. And I like slide through and it's like the fourth goal or something. That's right. You used we, to love laughing at that one. Yeah. So back then the nationals was the four regions, right? Region one, two, three, and four. We were from region one. You though, being from Iowa played from, a, played with a team in Nebraska Right. Yeah, I did. So we were the Region Two champions. You were the Region Two champs. There was um, Houston Texans from Region Three, and then there was they were called the Bandidos, and they were from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Blake's played against Bandidos before. Oh, really? Yeah, our ODP team used to go down to Phoenix, Arizona, and they would play. And we we play in that top division, but you know, so it was our ODP team, certainly not our club team, but they would still beat us. They were good. They were (laughs) so good. They were so good. And they didn't make it to the final that year. We actually played um, the Texans. The Texans. Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> went a strong 0-3 that week. You know what we did that week, Ben? We, we, <laughs> beat, <laughs> we, we beat the Banditos first, and we knew they were the best team. Then we beat you second. And we knew we were the worst team. <laughs> no. Well... Yeah, Nebraska, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We absolutely were. There's no question. You were not the worst team. The Texans were the worst team. And we, we played one. We're so close. And we played them third. And we knew all the other results. And we said, if we lose to the Texans, we'll play them in the final. So we played our goalkeeper up front. We played our forward in the back. We played, you know, the kid with no skills. And, you know, it, it was we played nobody and we lost to them. And then we played them in the final. We beat them 5-1. <laughs> and, yeah, that was, that was it. That was, our, that was the championship, the first one, under 18. But, Brack, you had highlights in that video. I remember you for sure. But I do remember you sliding, trying to save that goal. And in classic, yeah. in classic bracket fashion, there is no way you're saving this. The guy is in alone, and he's <laughs> passing it in the net. He's basically celebrating before he kicks it. And Brack runs, the ball's already hit the net, and he slides into the, you know, the dirt pile in front of the goal. <laughs> oh, I had the worst rasp, the hip raspberry. Yeah, you, you oh, know, you, where your shorts ball up up your leg, and you oh. just got, like, you've sheared all the skin off of your, your side. Yeah. But so, um, so I saw Noonan, and Sievers asked him, uh, 
like kind of like why he ever would have recruited me basically because that's the way Severs is and uh coach kind of like referenced something along the lines of like I'm really competitive and I never gave up and I'm pretty sure that was the only time you saw me play was against you guys so maybe that play right there sort of like got us really to this moment here you know full circle (laughs) full circle hey you, you never know you never know who's watching you never do yeah that's a good lesson for the kids out there um so we're gonna have you come back next week i think and recap this mls cup final i think we should definitely do that and then with the it's gonna be interesting with jeff not watching it though well (laughs) oh my gosh how about this i will watch the game after it happens (laughs) that's fair that's fair i won't watch it live (laughs) that's fair so We'll, we'll do that. And then uh, also thought it'd be interesting to sort of like preview the uh, CONCACAF Nations Cup. Uh, the U.S. has the return legs from their uh, kind of disastrous Cuba-Canada weekend of last month. So this this month, uh, next Friday, they play – I think they I think they play Cuba first and then Canada the following week. Maybe it's the other way around. But either way, I would just kind of like to talk to you about the pool and uh, also your experience with the with the pool and the national team and this, that, and the other. Yeah, that sounds good. Sweet. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Brack, I'll see you this weekend. I can't wait to see you, bud. I can't wait to see you either. I hope you guys both are able to uh, show up next week for our podcast. (laughs) I I will be there. I promise. We'll have to take a little picture for the the Twitter. Yeah, that's true. Here we go. We'll prove to, pro- to prove we know each other. Exactly. <laughs> and right. maybe maybe I'll I'll send you a clip of you sliding into the goal and you can put that on, on Instagram too. You should do it for sure. That'd be great. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. All right, guys, thanks. All right, Blake, another good one in the books. I love talking to Jeff. It's always fun. It is, absolutely, Ben. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> that's I very true. Of. No, no, that's great. That's great. I, I'm glad that uh, you gave me a little credit there. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're going to have him back and chat next week. Uh, I'm going to see him this weekend, so maybe we'll get a little pod pick for you. Uh, maybe we'll see if we can get him to bring us a jersey, too, so we can hang it up here in the studio during our redecorating period here. Yeah, big first remodel of the studio. Oh, I love it. Uh, so we'll, maybe we'll start posting some pictures. We really need to. Uh, and then people can follow us on Twitter uh, and see those pics. We're at kick underscore forward. We're on Facebook at kick it forward IA and online at www.kifsoccer.com. Uh, then you also just you know have to thank our sponsors, of course, don't you, Blake? Absolutely. Uh, new father, Roy Michael Keener, over there at Grief in Sydney. There's an old father. He's, he's new and old now, isn't he? <laughs> Um, then obviously Paula Byerly over at the Purple Poppy Boutique. Obviously. And then we can't forget Bill Scott over at Scott Insurance Services. Long time supporter of the pod and kick it forward. Um, you know, Blake, I, I don't know if there's much else to say other than that uh, we just love being in the studio and we can't wait to be back. Talk to you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>